Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, the man mourning the end of the Marc Gasol era in the NBA. It's John Hollinger, our dear friend from over at The Athletic, the senior writer who writes about literally everything that happens in the NBA. I feel like, John, how you doing, man? Good morning, mate. I'm, I'm doing great. Uh... I'm not 100% sure that this is the absolute end. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens. He's definitely going to be chilling in Spain for a while, though. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I think that Mark had a underrated year last year with Los Angeles. Like, I, I didn't... Un- Certainly the Lakers underrated it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I didn't understand why they didn't play him more. Maybe Mark's body didn't allow for him to play more. I I don't necessarily have an answer there. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Uh, And look, I think that, like, he certainly is something of a defensive question mark at this point, just in regard to mobility. But he is so good offensively just due to decision making and shooting that there's still a role for him if he wants it it's just is you know a minimum contract worth it for mark at this point given how much money he's made and given his legacy yeah no i think the most logical thing for him to do is um you know hang out for now grow some awesome vegetables maybe work out with pow in barcelona you know, run his, uh, you know, he's got his own team that he's uh, putting together in Girona um, and stay in shape. And then, you know, what a lot of these veterans do now, I mean, J.J. Reddick's doing the same thing, right? Is like, I'm not going to sign anything now. Let me see. Let me see how things are going in January and see if I can latch on to a contender in a role. And then I'll, then I'll, you know, then I'll come out of my shell. Yeah, I kind of love that move. I think that's really, really smart for Gasol. And if, if it is the end, I hope that uh, he gets the recognition that he deserves. I mean, like, you know, proverbial gun to your head. Is Marcus all a Hall of Famer? So uh, let's uh, let's acknowledge that I'm extremely biased on this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think probably yes. I mean, he was a first team all NBA player. Uh, pretty important international contributions for Spain. Um Defensive Player of the Year, multiple All Star. Uh, I would say that's a resume that doesn't make you a shoe in, but probably makes you more likely than not to get in. Yeah, two All NBA selections, like you said, a Defensive Player of the Year award. Uh, funny quirk was that he was second team All Defense in the year that he won the Defensive Player of the Year award, which was bizarre in many ways. Three time NBA All Star, obviously won a title in 2019 as a starting center with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, and like John said, just incredible international contributions to the NBA. Also, I mean, just unbelievable hair when he was playing with Corona. If you go to his Wikipedia page, <laughs> I, just phenomenal flow on his hair, which has to be respected, I think, in some ways for his Hall of Fame case. So, or envied in my case, <laughs> John. I'm I'm right behind you on that. <laughs> like, I, I'm hey, hanging milk on. It, milk it while you got it, man. I'm hanging on, but it's not get that get that mohawk right now because in a couple years it's over, baby. Oh man, it's funny. Like my dad has had thinning hair for like the last thirty years that has Mm -hmm. just kind of stayed the same and just continued to like thin out. I'm hoping for that graceful uh, transition, but. I don't know, man. It feels like it's going pretty quick. It feels like it's going to end for me uh, in a hurry, and I'll be on that bald bandwagon with you soon. Shaved or bald? Is that what we're going with uh, in your case, John? Well, I can. Yeah, I mean, it's basically bald. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can, you know, you can say, "Oh, I shaved it," so you can't tell. <laughs> but like, but like, yeah, there's there's nothing there. Yeah, um, I'm going to be right there with you. But this is not a Marc Gasol retrospective podcast as much as I'm sure you would enjoy that. This is a Ben Simmons podcast. We are going to kind of break down everything that has to do with what is going on with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia, because it is by far the biggest domino that is still left to fall before this upcoming NBA season. I think that that's absolutely correct. Right, John? Yeah, totally. Yeah, because 
you know, people thought maybe there'd be a Lillard domino or a Beal domino. There's just not. And that domino may come into play as the season goes on, especially if those teams disappoint. But right now, it's just not something that's in play. Yeah, that's the impression I get as well. And certainly all of the public posturing uh, uh, says that, uh, I think is fair to say, from Tommy Shepard and Neil Olshay. So Ben is the biggest player left on the board. And I think in some ways that helps Philadelphia. And I think in some ways it makes it less likely that a tr- that like an easy trade comes to the fore given that Daryl Morey is involved here and that Daryl is someone who will certainly hold out for the best deal but before we kind of get into the machinations of what is Ben Simmons overall value I think it's just worth defining what Ben Simmons is as a player at this point and it's a obviously very tricky conversation. He is one of the, let's say, five best defenders in the NBA, maybe one of the best two to three best defenders in the NBA. I kind of think that I've kind of said this for a little while. I talked about it on the podcast last year with Derek Bodner. I thought that Joel Embiid, when he was on the court, was Philadelphia's best defensive player last year. Uh, I thought that he was certainly their most important. He protects the rim in such a ridiculous way. He just com- He's one of the few guys that can actually completely shut down the paint when playing a drop coverage scheme. Where do you kind of fall on the Joel versus Ben, you know, defensive value thing? Because I think they're very complementary and they certainly help each other's value. But I, I kind of just think that Joel's ability on the interior is more valuable than what Ben brings. I mean, it sort of depends on, I mean, it's so situational, right? Because you're asking them to do completely different things. And, and it depends on who the opponent is too. Because if you're, I think if you're playing against an opponent who is must switch, then you, you much rather have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But if you can play Joel Embiid in a drop, yeah. I mean, he's going to be awesome. So, and and having having that guy who can just eliminate the paint or come close to it at least, uh, yeah, then then he does have more value. So, I, it's a, I mean, pardon my non-answer here, but it's so situational between them. Um, and I think it's a hard thing. I mean, the one thing we see with Ben Simmons um, is that the playoffs, right? They increase his defensive value, but man, do they truck his offensive value. So yeah, let, let's let's talk about Ben in the regular season first and then in the playoffs. So in the regular season, Ben is something like a top five defender in the NBA. He has made an all-NBA team on the third team in 2020. Obviously, he's made the all-defense team each of the last two years. He is a really exceptional player creating threes for his teammates, either by grabbing and going out in transition or by playing as like a pseudo lead guard and driving and forcing the defense to collapse and then hitting kickout guys like Tobias Harris and Seth Curry for open threes. He is someone that when he decides to shoot at the rim is an effective finisher at the basket because he has incredible body control at six foot ten. Although I do think that there is something happening over the last couple of years where it feels like because of the foul shooting issues, he is a little bit more concerned to drive all the way to the rim. It's yes. It's it's almost like a bigger, taller uh, more defensively valuable Rajon Rondo with the Celtics it is almost where I'm at with Ben Simmons. Where, where, where do you kind of fall on where the he's actually is? even different than Rondo because he won't shoot a three at all, you know? And um, like, I almost see him as a guy you use as like the thing that you can't do in Philadelphia that you could potentially do with him someplace else is use him as like a bastard five and play four shooters around him and play him almost the way Milwaukee plays with Giannis. And uh, he's, he's not as good as Giannis, don't get me wrong, but he could do some of those things. I think it'd be really 
dangerous as a roller, right? Yeah. Um, if and there was seen, a, a... We've seen flashes of that, too. Yeah. In Philadelphia, when Joel is out. Uh, but now, if you're going to play, if you're going to play a big plotting center all 48 minutes, which Philadelphia basically did last year, and it's apparently committed to doing again this year because they have Embiid and Drummond, hashtag free Paul Reed. And... The uh, so I think that limits his ability to do that and be kind of the best version of that player. So if you had a um, like if you had we'll bring him up again. If you had Marcus All from five years ago, and you could play him with Ben Simmons, like that's the perfect five to play with him, right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's funny. One of the landing spots we'll talk about is Minnesota potentially, and I think that. Carl Towns is like the absolute perfect center to play with Ben Simmons. But uh, yes, talking about Ben Simmons at the five, like the pseudo four, it, it's a difficult conversation because how much of it comes down to is Ben willing to do that? Like how, how much is Ben willing to play as a five man versus as the point guard or versus uh, as like the secondary ball handler? Because I agree with you. I think that, We've seen enough in the limited moments where Ben has played as a screener that make me go, oh, this could be like Draymond Green level ridiculous in the short roll. Like if you play mm-hmm. him with a real point guard and you have him go up, you set a screen, you short roll him to like that 18 foot range and he gets to take advantage of potential four on three situations. Th- those advantages for someone like Ben Simmons, who's just like a basketball savant in like a pretty real way. Uh, I, I think that that kind of goes underrated a little bit with Ben, his ability to process what's happening on the court and his ability to react to it in such a quick way. It's really remarkable. The problem is that the skill side has now caught up to it. Like he's an incredible athlete. He has incredible feel for the game. He has incredible reaction time. Um, incredible basketball IQ, everything with that. But now he, the skill side just is caught up. And when you can't shoot in today's NBA, you just can't be on the ball as much as Ben Simmons is. And that's where it gets complicated for me. Like if Ben is willing to play the four or the five, please, by all means, like trade for him and trade a lot for him because I think he still has like top 10 player potential if he's willing to do that. Yeah, I think he's a guy you play kind of part on the ball, part off the ball. And, you know, when you get into fourth quarters, using him as an off-ball player, you know, it's it, putting him in a screen and roll and opening the rest of the court yep. is better than putting him in a role where he's just running away and hiding because you have, you have Embiid in the middle and in the post and you're trying to space for him. And that just leaves no area for Simmons. It's it's so frustrating to me because wh- wh- how what did you think of Ben coming into the NBA? Because I really thought that, and even through his, I, I would say his third year, I still felt really good that he was going to be a top 10 player in the NBA at some point, that the light would come on and that he would absolutely dominate games. I just don't, well, I don't you, know that I feel yeah, that. Yeah, you just... You just figure the trajectory on a lot of these guys is that they add enough shooting to at least be somewhat viable, and then the rest of their athleticism and and reading the game or whatever takes over. You know, it's like Dwayne Wade. Did he ever really become a three point shooter? No, but like he, there there was enough of it there where like okay, you you at least had to deal with it a little bit, and you sort you just sort of expected that trajectory with him too, and it just never happened uh i mean coming into his draft year here's the thing with Wade too like from 10 to 16 or 10 to 23 feet last year in the mid-range ben simmons took 44 shots last year and shot like 39 percent Dwayne wade was always a self-creating like mid-range killer you know what i mean like yeah at least get that shot whenever he wants like ben can't do that yeah yeah that's very true so uh, it's if he can't be a self-creating shooter and scorer in that to me, like I blame him for that. Like I'm now at the point officially where it's just like, this is on you. If you can't figure out that you have to become at least a passable shooter, 
it, it's kind of on you, right? Like you, you need to, you need to understand at this point, you are 25 years old. Like you need to understand that your shooting is maybe the biggest swing skill in the NBA for a title contender in Philadelphia, right? Oh yeah. 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 I think that's accurate. Like if he could actually shoot a corner three and then could open up the court, like he could shoot 35% from a corner, 30, let's say 38% from a corner. It completely changes what Philadelphia does. Completely. I mean, he, he doesn't even need to shoot that well. Like he just needs to be a, a sort of threat. Like you just disregard him so completely right now. And then on top of it now, he just doesn't seem to have the confidence to attack. I mean, the play where he kicked it to Matisse Thibel after being by himself under the basket with Trey Young rotating from the weak side, like that got all of the publicity. But that's like that's like the absolute prime example of like the worst case scenario of what Ben Simmons has become in terms of confidence around the rim. But he's been kind of on that road for a little while where he's been less confident going to the basket. And it's frustrating and it's tough. And he brings so much to the table's passer as a playmaker, as a transition driver. Like, I think that that probably is an underrated aspect as well. A team like Philadelphia that has someone like Joel Embiid, having someone like Ben next to him who drives transition play and can get up and down the court quickly. I think that that actually has the effect at times of being able to kind of let Joel sit back on defense, not have to run the court for an offensive possession, get like a little bit of like a passive or active rest, I guess on the court. Yeah. For those extra like little six or seven seconds where, Ben is driving and scoring or Ben is driving and kicking out to an open three point shooter. And then they make it. And then the other team brings the ball up the court like those stealing those little moments, I think really, really helps in a game for Philadelphia and losing that is going to be harmful for Philly. Uh, I think it's going to be harmful for their offense. And obviously losing that is going to be harmful. Losing Ben is going to be harmful to their defense, but how much i guess like i just don't have confidence in where ben's trajectory is going in a way that i did 18 months ago i completely agree with that um and i i'm not swayed by like two instagram clips of him making jump shots um so (laughs) uh but i think it's just to the point where he needs a change of scenery do you remember the willie collie sign uh can shoot pre-draft videos Oh, you know, I I don't because I. it's weird when you're on the team side, when you know a player has no chance of getting to you, you just expend very little effort on that player um, in, in the pre-draft process. And uh, so, uh, I mean, it was kind of the same way with us with with. Ben Simmons too. Like once once we saw enough of him to determine that we had no chance to be in a position to pick him, then you know you kind of move on to to the things that are more possible. Um, so I I missed out I missed out on that era unfortunately. Yeah the the Willie Cauley Stein one is always fun to me because he would like show up to these pre draft workouts and people get video of him shooting threes and it's like oh wait it takes him like four seconds to load into every three point shot there's no way this is actually going to work, but then he makes them. So people are just like, Oh yeah, he can, he, he's developing a jump shot. He's still only 21. Yeah. It's like, what are we and doing? then the video is cut after everyone and he's standing in a different spot. <laughs> right. Oh, those are the best. The, <laughs> One of those. Trails. Now that you're on the media side, how much has your, uh, your consumption of the pre-draft internet video, uh, uh, I guess like consumerism changed. Um, I I didn't know how to regard them before, and now I feel a lot more comfortable just totally disregarding them. I guess. Yes. <laughs> strong agree. Um, very strong agree. Let's uh, take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with more on just kind of where we are on Ben Simmons.
Okay, we're back. So Ben Simmons, I would say, is something like just given all of the defensive value that he brings to the table, given the transition driving ability, given the uh, passing ability, I would say he is still a top 30 player in the NBA. I I think I would be comfortable saying 30. Uh, where do you kind of sit with him in the hierarchy of players? Uh, I would say that's probably about right. I would say he has more regular season value than playoff value, um, which, I mean, for some teams, that's actually the thing that matters more. Um, you know, if you're just fighting to get into the playoffs, yeah, Ben, ben Simmons can really help you do that. Um, he might disappoint you a little once you actually get there, but, you know, get, getting there is half the battle. And I think that there is a case, and we'll talk about that depending on the situation, that Ben could be good in the right playoff situation. It's just that's not Philadelphia, given the presence of Joel Embiid at this point. So where, what is Ben Simmons' trade value, in your opinion? Because we've heard Daryl Morey come out and talk about uh, you know, looking for... Daryl Morey hasn't come out, but reports about Daryl have come out. I shouldn't characterize it as being from Daryl. Um, reports about what Daryl Morey is looking for have come out and said that he is he wants like four first round picks and wants a player like he, he wants the world for Ben Simmons. Do we think that there is a chance that he could get the kind of value that he is searching for? No. Um, and I mean, just knowing how the Rockets operated uh, when he was there, like I'm not surprised by this uh, because they, 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 their history is they do end up making a ton of trades, um, but they a lot of times will start at something really out there and then re- slowly reel themselves back in, and so I think that's what they, what they started at here is just. Ask for the moon, go fishing for suckers, see if there's any out there. Um, and then I think once reality hits that that isn't happening, now comes the, comes the real challenge. I think also one of the reasons they felt like they could do that is because they thought Lillard might come available at some point. Right. You know, so they were just, you know, it was almost a stalling for time tactic. And now that isn't available to them, and we're a lot closer to the season, and there's more threat that, you know, Simmons is talking about actually not showing up for camp, which, you know, the Sixers can win enough regular season games probably, you know, as long as Embiid's healthy, that that it's not a massive deal for them, but it's just... It gets so much harder to do trades once the season starts, especially if teams have to piece together like four contracts. Because now you talk about you have to cut people. You can only have 15 on the active roster. Like it just becomes much more of a challenge. So I, I do think this is business they want done. Not necessarily by the time camp starts, although that I think that would be helpful for them. But certainly by the time the regular season, certainly by the time the roster cutdown happens. Yeah, it feels that way to me as well. I guess that, like, there's been reporting from ESPN. I think Brian Windhorse, uh, I saw a video of it, with him saying that, uh, like, Sixers management with Josh Harris flew to the, like, Los Angeles area where Simmons is and met with Simmons and Rich Paul and some of the other parties, you know, involved in this. And uh, basically they were hoping that, Ben would be willing to report to training camp in order to help facilitate this thing and Ben was just like it's not my job to like help raise my trade value at this point when you hear something like that as a former you know NBA executive I mean what what are your thoughts on just the Ben Simmons it's not my job to raise my trade value yes like well you could it is, and it isn't. I mean, once the off season happens, yeah, that's that's technically true. But there's a part of you that's like, well, you could have <laughs> you could have done a little bit more to raise your trade value when the games were happening. But um, you know, bygones, I guess. Um, 
I I understand where he's coming from a little bit. Like it actually helps his next team more if his trade value is low. So like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Other than the fact that he wants to be out of there, like whatever gets him out of there with the least amount going to back to the Sixers is actually the most helpful thing for him. So his 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 incentives are actually very different than the Sixers. Yeah, I think that that's always really important in these conversations. And to be honest, like I kind of agree with Ben, like it is not his job to raise his own trade value at the end of the day, like. He could have done more during the season. I totally agree with you there. But, like, look, these games aren't happening. Uh, I don't think that... Or I think that most NBA executives are much like you and I in saying no matter how many Ben Simmons jump shot videos from training come out, like, nobody's going to believe it until they see it. Yeah, totally. Like, no one's going to be like, oh, my God, Ben just made 10 straight threes in a workout. Uh, We have to believe in his jump shot going forward. So I think that's reasonable. And I think that Ben kind of made that case more in regard to if I report to training camp and play for a couple of games like in the regular season, like, could that help my trade value? Look, I I think that. Uh, yeah, this is going to be the second podcast where I reference this, but I, I think uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Chris Martin style conscious uncoupling is probably the uh, probably the best move going forward for this pairing, right? <laughs> who gets Apple? <laughs> who who is the Apple in this circumstance? Is it, is it Tyrese Maxey? Given the <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, let's let's move to actual offers um sure who do you think has the best offer on the table right now in your opinion not in terms of what the actual offer is because we don't know for sure what the actual offers are necessarily but in the you know when building an offer what offer makes the most sense to you i think the thing for philly is that if you can't get Lillard, can you get the pieces that let you get Lillard later? And can you get those pieces without submarining the team you have now? And I wonder, because of that, if Sacramento is going to be the best one. Where you could do something with healed Bagley and multiple firsts. And they're Sacramento firsts, so they're probably pretty tasty. Um, and like Buddy Heald fits in Philly, right? Really well. Um, really, really well. And Bagley, I think, is it still kind of interesting if you're a rebuilding team, uh, which the Blazers would be the second they did a Lillard deal. Um, so I, I think that part uh, is, is is an interesting one. Um, th- so that there's that. Uh, Let's talk about the Min- Sacramento thing first, because sure. I don't think that's an interesting offer at all for Ben. Okay. And I think it's mostly because I think Marvin Bagley at this point is like Seku Dumbuya level, like salary ballast in a trade. Like, I'm just not really <laughs> interested. In Marvin you, would, you would have to have a level of belief in Bagley that is not supported by his recent performance, let's say. Yeah. Um, I get that he was the number two overall pick, but like we've seen it for three years now. He might be one of the 10 worst defenders in the NBA, certainly among bigs. He's one of the 10 worst defenders in the NBA. I just can't. I can't quite get there with Bagley. Um, the Kings picks idea, I think, is very true. But like, I think that I think I would need Davion Mitchell. Yeah, I was going to say, how much does Mitchell sweeten the pot? Um, yeah. That 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 would be one. Uh, like I, I would need Mitchell in a deal for Ben Simmons, and I would need it to be like Mitchell healed. You'd have to throw in Bagley and like multiple firsts. Like there's just no like I, I just don't. See yeah, that. you could actually throw in Tristan Thompson instead of Bagley if you wanted. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, let's. Uh, I'm sure Rich Paul would be real happy about that too. Getting one client or getting at least one client out of Philly and sending one back that way. That'd be great. For him. <laughs>
the one that stood out to me the whole time was Minnesota, but I think mm-hmm. that your point about making the move that makes you still in the ballpark for Lillard makes a Minnesota deal less interesting. And I think it, it's actually something I really agree with you on, that making the deal that makes it possible to stay in the game for Lillard is the most important move now. And I don't know if Minnesota doing something like Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, Jaden McDaniels in like a couple of firsts. Like, I don't know if that keeps them in the game for Lillard. Uh, yeah, and it, it makes them really expensive, too. Um, you know, you, you'd almost rather not have Russell in the deal. Because I, I, I don't know how Russell, like, does Russell really help you in a Lillard trade? Um, no, I don't think he helps you at all in a Lillard deal. Unless they're delusional and think, we're still going to win, we're not tanking, you know. And, Which, like, don't put it past Neil Olshay, I don't think. That, like, that could be his thing. I mean, th- there has never been a point, I feel like, where he has really actively tried to dismantle it. But then again, yeah, I mean, but there was when they reset after LaMarcus left and Wes Matthews tore his Achilles, and they did actually reset. And they just did it quickly enough that they ended up making the playoffs, even though they didn't expect to. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't. I don't see a like delusional fake rebuild type scenario happening there. I, I think if they, I think if they, if a Lillard deal happens, they're they're busting out the dynamite. I, I would hope so, especially given that like Nurkic has one year left on that deal. Um, you know, CJ McCollum would still have value league wide. I think at the very least, I, I would just hope that they do blow it up. So you would almost rather go... Would you rather have Beverly in that deal than Russell? Yeah, I mean, you could put Beverly or Prince as your salary ballast with Beasley and McDaniels, right? And you get to the to the number you need to. Right. That's still probably not enough, isn't it? You, you need those T-Wolves first and just counting on the T-Wolves, T-Wolving things up and adding value to your first that way. The thing that would worry me about the T-Wolves just, like, T-Wolvesing things up is that I think that team would actually be really good if they had Ben Simmons because he's the perfect piece. I mean, connect. yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, to- totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You end up with Edwards, Towns, Russell, and, and uh, Beasley. Yeah. That's, I mean, th- that's pretty good yeah. because, yeah. yeah, they're shooting be- around him. His defense helps, you know, the fact that nobody else there plays any defense. And, you know, you just need one or two other things at that point, and you're pretty good. Yeah, like the Ben Simmons as, like, a connective piece between Anthony Edwards and Carl Towns. Like, you could run, like, 4-5 or 5-4 ball screening action with Towns and Simmons. You could run, like, Towns as a wing floor spacer for, like, Edward Simmons screening actions. Like, there are just so many different ways to run that offense at that point. Plus, you would get the perfect complement for Carl Anthony Towns uh, defensively at that point. I mean, that's a Minnesota. I understand why it seems like they're trying to pull out all the stops to get Ben Simmons because that, that is the player that is on the market right now that I think they should be chasing. Yeah. Is there like, is there, who are the other teams that you see as like pretty interesting here? You know, could Indiana get in this? I've been kind of sneaky wondering about them for a little while. Because they kind of need to do something different. The only thing is, like, you're probably looking at Turner or Sabonis being in it. And what the hell is Philadelphia going to do with those guys? I mean, I guess Turner theoretically fits there a little better. You could, I mean, could you play Turner and MB together? I don't think that they have enough mobility to make that work. Yeah. I, I do yeah. think it would be pretty easy to move turner or sabonis yeah you can flip flip one but you'd have to make it a three-way trade which is right. where trades go to die but in this in this case you have an interesting enough player that i think you have a more plausible chance of pulling it off yeah i was um, gonna say three team deals go to die whenever the uh player that you're offering to a third team sucks 
uh yeah yeah miles turner yeah. demonis sabonis is actually good enough to where it's like oh yeah like yes if we're the third team it'd be like the jared allen thing with the Cavs coming in right yeah like, oh, exactly yeah, like, this is great like let's do this let's move two first round picks for turner if he's willing to agree to an extension or something like that right yeah yeah so if you're you know if you're indiana you do turner and lamb you do duarte who's good enough to help them right now um and that's how that's how you get your money right and then you just throw future first on top of that um you just you have to be very careful on the salaries i guess because indiana is so close to the tax so that gets a little tricky and there ain't no way in hell Indiana's paying luxury tax, right? Well, I feel like I feel like it'd be like because there were those rumors about Brogdon earlier this summer that they might be looking. To There's play. there was a lot of Brogdon smoke, yeah. yeah. But you, I mean, the thing is, you want Simmons to play with Brogdon, don't you? I, like I, you don't you don't want Simmons to be just like your your the the thing that they tried to make him isn't quite the thing he really ought to be. Like, you almost want to start Brogdon, Levert, Warren, and Simmons. Maybe maybe Holiday instead of Levert, and Levert's your sixth man, whatever. But, like, you want perimeter options around Simmons. That's the thing that's going to make him effective, right? It so, is, actually, actually, as I think about this, yeah, and you actually want Sabonis in the trade and not Turner for the same reason. Like, you want that shooting to be around Simmons, and that's the thing that's going to make him effective, that's exactly what I was going to say is to me, it's more of a Sabonis move than a Turner move, but I just don't know how, like, it feels like they're pretty committed to Sabonis, right? Yeah, but you know, then they'd be, I think they'd be more committed to Simmons. Maybe. I don't know. Do you, do you think, I don't know. Well, it's funny because like Demonis Sabonis made the all-star game this year. I personally would rather have been than Demonis Sabonis. I, I understand the case that Indiana fans would make. But yeah, I think I would just rather have been than Sabonis. I, I don't know that I would move Sabonis like plus three other things for Ben. Yeah, that's where that's where it gets tricky is is the asset piece of it, right? Yeah, I think so. I've been like trying to come up like I've seen Cleveland. I think Mark Stein throughout the Cavs is an interesting one. I'm just like not sure where that works for anyone. All right. How does this work for Cleveland? Because the problem is their lottery picks the last three years haven't established any value yet. Right. I think Garland is really good. And I think Garland is a really good fit in Philly, but I also don't think that a third-year point guard is helping Philly win now. Yeah, exactly. Yet there's not a lot of value there for Sixers, and at the end of the day, in a in a trade that follows that, whatever team that is, like let's say the lower scenario again, if you're Philly, you'd rather have the draft pick than Darius Garland, right? You you'd rather you'd rather be able to to move that thing than than to have the than to have the player i mean okoro hasn't really established value uh, sexton has had his moments but is he you know is he a doritos guy or is he you know is he really adding value on a good team i think there's that's still an, a very open question so like where is the trade other than the, their draft picks which I, I think there would be a lot of interest in cleveland draft picks but uh um I don't think they're going to put Mobley in something like this, right? No, yeah, no chance. They were. I'm sure they're hoping to use Kevin Love as a salary match. Good luck with that. Um, there, there's a lot of complications. Like, it really the only player they could realistically put in the deal when you look at like January 15th trade restrictions is Ricky Rubio. Right. There's no way your old team Memphis is like the sleeping giant here, right? That's an interesting one because they can they can I mean they have to put like nine players in it for the salary match but <laughs> setting that part aside I mean I think they're definitely looking at their situation and realizing like they need some way to to not stay in the 40 win area even though they have a lot of good young players 
they don't really have the high-level guys in enough concentration to get to the next point in the progression. And so that's why you heard a lot of stuff about them with all kinds of different players because it was just a you know a little bit, I think, of a fix, fishing expedition to determine what guys' value was and what was out there for them to get because like they have to thin the herd at some point. Um, so... You know, what could they put into a, a deal? Would they put Jaron Jackson in a deal for Ben Simmons? I mean, that's a really interesting trade right there, right? Um, I, I don't think they would. Like, I, I don't, I just don't. I, I still think that's unlikely to. Doing that. Um, but could they do Desmond Bain, Zaire Williams, DeAnthony Melton, and what gets them to the number? Yeah, you have to do like six other John Conchars and Chris Dunn's, and like it gets it gets gets pretty ugly if you're not doing like Stephen Adams or at the very least like Dylan Brooks is the only other guy who makes more than ten. Yeah, so it'd have to be you'd have to involve Adams to a third team basically to make it work. And what he can't be aggregated for a little while still probably right. Yeah, they did that. It would, it would be, I think it would be October 6th or so. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm off by a little bit here. Um, yeah, just like quick math. I mean, yeah. But here, here's the reason why I like Memphis is what would be my favorite landing spot? I, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, it, it just doesn't feel like the way that Memphis wants to build their roster. But the question would be like, does Ben Simmons fit with John Morant given that John Morant just doesn't really shoot yet right i think that they're kind of screwed if john morant doesn't shoot long term anyway so you might as well bank on the development of john morant being able to shoot and being able to develop as that scoring threat and get the pieces around him that work once he does develop that right in a ben simmons jaron jackson front court long term sounds fucking terrifying to me like that sounds if they can both stay healthy that sounds like the exact perfect front court to play with Ja Morant, to play an up-tempo style of basketball. Jaron would obviously really help Ben in regard to the shooting side of uh, floor spacing and opening up the court for Ben. They really run a ton of like screen actions even for Jaron Jackson. Like They'll run like pin downs and shit for him that would really open yeah. up the court for Ben. Yeah. I mean, that to me is... like If I was... If I was building the roster I would want to see Ben Simmons with most, it would be this or Minnesota, I think. Well, I mean, the thing with Ben Simmons with this roster is there's just no shooting anywhere. I mean, it's it's not just a question of Simmons with Morant. Yeah. Like, there's just the whole issue with this team has been the lack of shooting. And now you're talking about... You're definitely moving you know, Bain in a deal. If you're moving Bain in it, really like... Ask for. Yeah, you're, you're asking Jaron to basically be all the floor spacing. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think there, you know, I, I wonder if Memphis is kind of focused in the opposite direction. Um, I, I think they probably in terms of that what it's worth. Like I, I don't see that as something that would happen, but I kind of like it if it would yeah. happen. Um, it would be it'd be interesting as hell for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll just like ask you as a kind of wrapping up thought here. Mm-hmm. Where do you think the ultimate final landing spot is for Ben Simmons? I'm going to say Sacramento. Uh, there's a Daryl Monty McNair connection. I do think there's an interest in Sacramento in doing something right now to end that 14-year playoff streak. Like that, their entire—I mean, for the last several years, really. You know, the entire mindset is similar to Charlotte, right? Can we just get the eight seed, please? Um, and so, I think they're more willing to put some stuff on the table that maybe other teams would be reticent to do and then i think if you're in a place like that the fact that simmons is signed for so long offers you some comfort you know that even if the guy demands a trade you're just like no (laughs) right like you're you're signed for four years you have no leverage so um i think that this move by simmons this power move to get out of philly Mm -hmm. will exhaust a lot of his capital to be able to do that within the next two years to like ask yeah yeah 
So the Simmons-Fox partnership is a little tricky. Um, and, uh, you know, you hope you have enough shooting there to make that to make that work. And, you know, can you get enough? You got Rashawn Holmes at five. Um, so you got, you got an all-process front court there. Um, but, uh, you know, is that Texas enough West. shoot? Yeah. You know, is Simmons with Holmes, does that get you enough shooting or do you have to do more surgery at that point? But I think those are the types of questions that at least like, like upgrading your talent is your first thing when you're, when you're team down there. And I think the type of deal they'd be looking at upgrades their talent. There's no way that Toronto could do something like a Van Vliet, Malachi Flynn, like three first round picks kind of thing. I think they could. I just don't think that's what they're wired to do. I think they're going to, you know, they're more interested in like if they can do something a little more vulture than that. You know, where it's like Goran Dragic and two firsts or something, you know, where it's like way the hell less than people expected, you know, kind of like the Kawhi trade, right? Like, I think they'd be very interested in that. But otherwise, I think I think there's always so much they're going to put on the table. Uh, and there's no way that we think Golden. this is like a move for Golden State. I think it's the wrong move for Golden State, yeah. I agree with you that I think it's actually the wrong move for Golden State. So, I, I mean, like, look, maybe they get involved. But again, if the move is to stay available for Damian Lillard, uh, if you're Philadelphia, or ben, or Bradley Beal, let's say as well. Let's throw him in the mix. Yeah. Um, there isn't really anything I think that Golden State can offer if they're not going to throw in both, like, Kuminga and Moses Moody and like all of the future first round picks and I just don't know that they would do that in this no, no. for them like this isn't their move to get back to the top uh, the last team that was weird to me was San Antonio just because they're also a team that like really it feels like could make a consolidation move but this doesn't feel like a San Antonio move to me I would agree with that yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing that one. And like a lot of their guys are pretty young. Like it would almost have to be like homecoming for Lonnie Walker, um, you know, Derek White, and all of the future first round picks. Like, but Sa- San Antonio really likes keeping their first round picks if they can. So that doesn't that doesn't track. It would be it would be out of it would be a very out of character trade for them based on the last twenty years. Yeah, I, I will say like it would probably allow them to keep like some of, you know, Josh Primo and Keldon Johnson and one of their other guards. Like, I would think that you'd almost have to move Devin Vassell, Lonnie Walker and Derek White and then like a couple of firsts and then you find the salary ballast somewhere. Um, maybe the salary ba- ballast is homecoming for Thad Young, too. But yeah, that that just feels like a non like a non Spurs move, I guess, to me. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. I think that you're. I think you're right. I think that Sacramento is the team that lines up the most with all of this, and I think that it would have to involve them moving off of the stance that Sam Amick reported, uh, who. Sam is, I feel like, is plugged in in Sacramento and has been for years. Extremely uh, plugged in, yes. As anyone uh, in the reporting sphere that the Kings are not willing to move De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton. Did you notice that Davion Mitchell was conspicuous by his absence in that report? Yeah, that is interesting. I just think, yeah, I mean, if you you know that you have to have something fairly juicy out there, and that's probably the juiciest, juiciest thing they can put on the table. So I guess I'm not completely shocked by that. Yeah, that felt interesting to me. But I'm, uh, I think I'm in on that making the most sense, at least. Uh, he'd be a real get for the Kings. He'd really help them. I think they would have to do some real, like, finagling on the margins of that roster but something like Davion Mitchell Buddy Heald 
multiple first round picks and then throw in mm-hmm. Marvin Bagley, I guess, if you want to throw in Marvin Bagley for salary cap reasons. I, I don't want to throw in Marvin Bagley. <laughs> <laughs> um, John, do you have any uh, do you have any strong takes that you want to get out there before we go? Yeah, now that it's the fall, don't drink pumpkin spice coffee. It's it's not good. John, I've got a secret for you. I used to drink a lot of pumpkin spice coffee, but oh, I'm so sorry. The but it's the spring for you right now, so this, so this doesn't apply, right? That's true. And the coffee scene here in Melbourne is unbelievable. Like I've absolutely, I've heard that absolutely unbelievable. Like my wife. Laura and I did a coffee walk uh, throughout like the central business district of Melbourne. It was unbelievable. We did like five or six stops like within the city. I felt like my heart was about to explode after we. Yeah, I was going to ask about that part. (laughs) Coffee, but it was worth it. It was so good. Uh, It was the the coffee scene has ruined the pumpkin spice experience for me uh, that exists in the United States, John. I'm glad that you were able to get that off your chest. Please well, thank you for providing me a forum for this important uh, information. It's a public service announcement, really. John, please tell the people where uh, what you have coming up, what you have uh, on the docket. Well, uh, nobody's really playing any games right now, so I, I, <laughs> I don't have a whole lot right now. I'm working on all my season previews for the athletic, though, and uh, is you know. So once we get toward the end of the month. You're going to see a tsunami of stuff for me previewing the coming season. Uh, so just hold tight until then, and then and then we'll uh, get you fed. People call me prolific, like in terms of like what I write. I, I have no idea how you find the time to write the amount of things that you write. Like you're going to do 30 team previews, and they're going to get released, and I'm just yes. going to be like how in the entire fuck did he find the time to do this? Like, (laughs) it's just incredible to me. So in order to get all of the John Hollinger team previews, which are all going to be absolutely incredible, please go subscribe to the athletic shout out to all the sponsors that were on this podcast. Uh, We'll be back later next week with some more NBA stuff. Hopefully something happens and I won't have to like dive deep into the salary cap machinations of the Marcus all trade and the DeAndre Jordan trade and things like that next week with the NBA show. But uh, until next time, we'll talk soon.